I thank you for being so friendly with one another. Thank you for being so friendly. Uh, also want to uh, welcome, I saw him a minute ago, uh, welcome Matt Branson home from serving in Cutter. Matt, And finally, I want to thank Ben for doing such an excellent job preaching while I was gone the last couple weeks. I have heard from many of you, and I verified myself by listening, that uh, he kicked off the new sermon series really well. Uh, I believe that uh, Ben's preaching gift is very strong, and I am thankful for it, and I am thankful for him and the good job uh, that he did. For those of you who may not have known what I was up to, the past, uh, well, it's been a week ago now, but uh, the two previous Sundays and the weekend between those, my family and I were uh, in Florida. First, uh, I was there the the first part of the trip for a conference, and then we stayed uh, after that and uh, had a little bit of a vacation. You know, with a conference in Orlando, you might as well stay and enjoy palm trees and sunshine neither of which do we really have in Ohio, although it is sunny today, but um, it's just a a gray place we live overall. And so uh, we took advantage of the the sun that Orlando offers, uh, stayed a few days, and uh, I wasn't the only pastor that did that. I noticed lots of pastors around Orlando uh, standing in lines for Spider-Man rides and things like that uh, at the theme parks, and they all had their conference t-shirts on. Uh, So they really stood out. I, however, did not have a conference t-shirt on, so I knew who they were. They didn't know who I was. Um, But, you know, being at conference is work, but it's pretty enjoyable work, to be honest with you. And and then having had a vacation after that, I I came back this week and I realized that, you know, I've had a pretty easy nine or ten days. So I decided that I should come back and really present myself with a big challenge for the first Sunday uh, back preaching. Uh, So today I'll be answering in this one sermon all of the unanswerable questions that you have ever had. Yes. I'm, I'm going to be explaining the doctrine of the Trinity in such a way that you will have no remaining questions about it. I'll be answering all your why and how questions. Uh, Why does God allow evil? You will have no more questions about that when we leave today. How can God be in control of all things and yet humans truly have free will? We'll resolve that today. How can football players from Ohio ever go to the University of Michigan? We'll tackle that. And then perhaps the most challenging of all, how can anyone actually enjoy watching The View? All right. Well, actually, I've not given myself quite that difficult of a challenge, but today's topic is an extremely challenging topic because today I want us to consider the question Does everything really happen for a reason? And you know, this topic can't be addressed without wrestling with issues like God's providence, God's sovereignty, human free will, 
And so it really touches on a lot of questions that are difficult to think about, difficult to answer, questions that Christians have wrestled with for 2,000 years, questions that are confusing, uh, answers that sometimes seem to be in conflict with each other. And so it's, it's fairly heavy lifting. Uh, I'll be honest with you that in uh, preparing the message and you know, just reading different things and wrestling with different things, um, uh, I confused myself a few times. Uh, so I don't think I've ever admitted that to you before, but I confused myself a few times. And, and I further realized that I think for the first time, if not maybe the second time in eight years, I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to follow the outline that I put in your bulletin. And then on top of that, I realized that some of what we're going to talk about, Ben touched on a couple weeks ago. And then I realized that it's really almost impossible to take on this topic without just coming off a little lecture-ish. And so you put all that together, and what I decided is that it would be better for us just to sing a few more songs and then go home. <laughs> so why don't you stand and... Uh, and that's what we'll do. What we'll, do. Um, well, actually, it's not quite that bad, uh, but it is a challenging topic, and you'll have to accept that not all the answers uh, may be satisfactory to us. Not all the answers uh, feel as though, at least, they're available to us. Uh, you might understandably. Normally, I think it's not understandable when people disagree with me, but uh, you, you might understandably come out of today disagreeing with me on a, a few things, and that's okay. Uh, but in spite of all of that, I'm just going to share my thoughts on the topic, uh, informed by my own understanding of the Scripture, and I do think that we'll find a few things here today uh, that can be helpful to us. Everything happens for a reason. At some point, you have been told this, uh, likely someone said this to you in response to some great difficulty that came into your life. And perhaps you've offered this uh, as encouragement to someone else who was facing a difficult circumstance. Uh, Larry Osborne writes in a book by the ungracious title of 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe, uh, which I will share, uh, provided the genesis of the idea for this series, that when his wife was diagnosed with cancer several years ago, they made a decision that they were going to be very open about her condition, very open about the treatment, very open about her uh, prognosis. And that overall, they ended up happy that they did that, but there were some days when they weren't so sure. And he said one of the things that challenged them to, to stay committed to this is that a lot of their friends, in attempting to be helpful to them, uh, said things that just were not very helpful. Things like, God must be up to something. God doesn't make mistakes. You must be very special for God to trust you with this. Won't it be great to see how God uses this? Isn't it good to know that everything happens for a reason? And Osborne writes that in one sense, they were right. No matter what happens, God is in control. He's the king of the universe, and he's good. And Osborne is right about all of those things. Scripture affirms each of those statements, they are true. But does that mean that everything happens for a reason. 
Well, for us to take on this topic, I think it's helpful to define what, at least in my experience, people usually mean when someone says everything happens for a reason. Usually what is meant by that is something like this. Everything that happens is God's will. But is it really? And, and, and actually, even more is usually meant by that statement. Often it is said and, and means something similar to this. Everything that happens is God's will. Everything that happens is directly caused by God. And everything that happens is part of God's plan to bring good to your life during the 75 to 80 years that most of us live on earth in this present age. Osborne said of their inner response to the encouragement they received, we never knew quite how to respond. Listen to these very honest words that this man shares. If this was God's best, then he could save it for someone else. We were willing to take a pass. We also noticed that almost none of those who were so quick to proclaim it a blessing seemed very eager to get blessed in the same way in their own lives. So where did we get this idea that everything happens for a reason? Well, this idea has grown out of the biblical truth of God's sovereignty, which is God's control over all creation. It's grown out of the biblical truth of God's providence. Now, providence is a word that's not found in the Bible, but theologians have come up with it to describe uh, a very biblical, uh, very biblical truths. Uh, Wayne uh, Grudem offers this definition of God's uh, providence. Uh, engage your brain right now. This is a fun definition. Uh, God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Two, cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to do as they do. And three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. So understanding that God is sovereign, understanding that God is all-powerful, embracing God's providence, and knowing that God is good, have all contributed to people coming to this viewpoint that everything happens for a reason. Uh, Calvinism, which is a term that you might be familiar with, is a uh, system of thought, a system of theological thought that revolves a lot around the providence of God that strongly emphasizes that God does not just permit, but actually causes, actually directs everything that happens, both good and bad. However, there are other Christians who affirm the sovereignty of God, affirm God's providence, but have a much different take on things. While affirming the sovereignty of God, they say that while God permits all things, he is not the direct cause of all things. He is ultimately in control. Ultimately, his will is going to be accomplished. But they say that does not mean that everything that happens is God's will. It does not mean that everything that happens is directly caused by God. This view is largely traced back to a a man by the name of Arminius and is known as Arminianism. Now, obviously, questions like this, uh, in spite of my uh, boast at the start of the message, uh, uh, questions like this cannot be resolved uh, in a single message today. In fact, in many ways, they just can't be resolved. They've been argued about for thousands of years. Uh, There are competing viewpoints that, that give us a lot to think about. 
Scripture itself gives us a lot to think about on these topics. Enough actually to sort of make your brain hurt. I mean, there's a lot of heavy lifting here. And since it's impossible to treat this topic in anything approaching thorough, uh, let us just suffice today with an acknowledgement that these differences exist among Christians. And now I'm simply going to share things as I see them, things from my point of view, and you can wrestle with that as you see fit. One of the verses in the Bible that has always lent credence to the Arminian view in my mind is 2 Peter 3.9. It tells us, depending on the translation, that God doesn't either want or wish anyone to perish. The King James Version has an even stronger that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that God wants everyone to come to repentance. So what God wants... What God's will is, is that no one should perish and that everyone should repent. But we see from experience that that is not the way things go. And we know from Scripture that that is not the way things are going to go. The Bible makes it very clear that many will refuse to repent and will perish even though that was not what God's will for them was. So I look at the scriptures and I affirm God's sovereignty, uh, absolutely believe that God is in control, absolutely believe he is good and everything he does is good. I stop short of believing that everything that happens is God's will or that everything that happens is directly caused by God. Another place that this idea that everything happens for a reason is caused by God and will work out for our good in this lifetime comes from is a misunderstanding of Romans 8, 28. Here's what it says, and I think they'll put this on the screen. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. How this verse often gets understood by people and used by people amounts to something uh, like this. Everything in this life will turn out good if you just wait long enough. Just wait long enough and it's going to turn out good. And it's possible that this misunderstanding has been helped along by the King James Version uh, translation of this passage, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And so the understanding that often comes out of this is that if we could just understand all all of the events of our lives correctly, we would see that God is at work and eventually we will realize in this lifetime how he was orchestrating everything for our good here and now. That's not really, I don't believe, what Romans 8.28 says. But before we get to what it says, what it really means... Let me just share with you some dangers that exist when we take this view that everything happens for a reason, meaning it's God's will directed by God and that it will lead to our good in this lifetime. And I think it'll be pretty clear how this belief can lead us into captivity, lead us into bondage to things that are destructive in our lives. And uh, so I have four dangers that I want to mention and then one that I want to Uh, most strongly uh, underline. 
When we believe that everything happens for a reason, and again, I'm going to be a little repetitive here today, but, but meaning by that everything is God's will, directly caused by God, and for our good in this lifetime, we face the very real danger of glossing over sin. Glossing over sin. You know, people have the capacity to justify the most awful things by appealing to this idea that everything happens for a reason. An affair results in the breakup of a difficult marriage. The people who had the affair with one another end up married. And I I don't want to shatter anybody's, you know, thoughts about anything, but sometimes that happens and those people end up happier than they were in their first marriages. We Christians sometimes like to believe that that never happens, but it does sometimes happen, that they end up happier in the second marriage that they entered into in a completely ungodly way than they did in the first marriage. And so they say to themselves, you know, everything happens for a reason. I don't understand it, but, but somehow... With where we're at now and how happy we are, God must have been involved in this in some mysterious way. God was working through all this. See, it's worked out for our good. We're so much happier. I lied on my tax returns. This is fictitious. It's not not a confession. This this is just a story I'm telling. All right. Uh, I lied on my tax returns. And as a result of this lie, I got a big enough refund from the government that I am able to go out and get out of debt. I can pay off my remaining credit card debt. I'm now going to be able to call the Dave Ramsey show and scream for the nation to hear, freedom. I can never get myself to really go for it on the screams. So that's, that's what we ended up with. Freedom. All right. <laughs> In some weird way, the person reasons, I don't understand it, but in some weird way, it must have been God's will. It worked out for my good. I don't know how amazing God used my sin to to bring about my good. Well, the truth is that God's not behind either of those things. The truth is that God's not behind any of the similar type circumstances that we could give as examples. He did not want either of those situations. He did not will either of those situations. You made a sinful decision against everything that God wanted for you. Because God never approves sin, God never causes sin. Larry Osborne reminds us, He does overcome it because that's what grace does. God does work around sin. God does work in spite of sin. He never approves sin. He never causes sin. And if we believe this wrong idea, we may gloss over sin. We may make excuse for our sin. We may satisfy ourselves with accommodating sinful choices, sinful habits, throughout our entire lives, satisfy ourselves with living in captivity to sin. The second danger is the danger of irresponsibility. When we believe that everything that happens is God's will, everything is directed by God, everything ultimately is for our good in this lifetime, we can become careless, reckless, irresponsible people. We'll be tempted to take unwise risk. 
Now, I just preached an entire series on taking risk. Uh, I think in the words of uh, a, a book title by John Piper, that for Christians, risk is right. We ought to be taking risk. But not just any risk. We need to be taking God-ordained, God-directed risk. People do irresponsible things. They pick up and move across the country with no job waiting for them. They live above their means and get themselves in awful situations with debt. They go to Vegas and they bet everything they own on red. I don't even know if that means anything. Uh, Hopefully that was a correct gambling reference, is it? Can you bet on red? Yes, you can. Okay. Red or black. Okay. One of the few temptations I've never faced is gambling. I just not. I guess you need money to gamble, so. Um, anyway, just a joke. Just a joke. Anyway, they reason. Whatever happens, it's all for a reason. Ultimately, God's going to work it out. He's going to work his will, good or bad, whatever. It's ultimately going to work for my good. And after a lifetime of living like that, decades of waiting for God to bring the good out of that, and in the meantime, you've lost your family. Your best friend is the bartender who only talks to you because you keep handing him money. People become disillusioned. They decide that God let them down. But God did not have anything to do with what happened to them. It was all self-inflicted. The third danger is the danger of misplaced hope. When we believe that everything that happens is God's will, everything is directed by God, everything will ultimately turn out good for us in this lifetime, then we view every difficulty in life as something that we only need to endure for a short time, and then we will come out on the other side, and everything will be good. And so we convince ourselves that our marriage will not always be a challenge. There is a brighter day ahead... When two completely incompatible people will live as two completely compatible people. We convince ourselves that this is going to happen. I won't always have chronic back pain, we say. There is a brighter day when I know this condition will be resolved and I'll feel good again. I won't always be dissatisfied with my job. I know the sweet spot of my career is just around the corner. I'll come into a time when my career is just going to be good. It's going to be right. My dreams aren't going to remain unfulfilled for my entire life. It's just a matter of time before God turns this around and I become the the tremendously successful person that I always knew I'd be. My loved one will not die from heart disease, will not die from cancer, will not die of stroke. They will not die. Something good is inevitable. This is just a temporary problem that we have to get through until we see the goodness of God revealed in the situation. So when we view God as the direct cause of everything that happens in our lives, we have this hope that he's going to change it. And if he doesn't, then we become, or we at least risk becoming, disillusioned. And for other people, this problem arises If God is the 
direct cause of everything that's happening to me, then God is the author of my pain. In some cases, they would describe it as God is the author of my hell, my private hell. And so they become disillusioned. When we become disillusioned, when we see God as the author of our pain, it leads to the fourth danger and the one that I really want to get out a a bold marker, an underline, a highlighter, and highlight, and that is the danger of becoming angry, and not just angry, but angry at God. It is very likely that you know someone who wants nothing to do with Jesus or Christianity because of an injustice or a tragedy that befell them and for which they hold God accountable. Perhaps you're a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you've been a Christian a long time. You might still be struggling with anger toward God. Something you thought was just a temporary trial has now drug on for years. You are no longer convinced that it's a matter of just getting through it. You're now facing the reality that this might be a permanent deal. This might just be the way it is. You're not sure that your marriage, even though you are both committed is ever going to be exactly what you thought it would be. You know, we create some real expectations of marriage. And sometimes, even with both people trying, even with both people trying to press into Jesus, sometimes it's just never what you thought. It's never what you dreamed about as a starry-eyed 15, 16, 17-year-old. You miss some opportunities along the way. And even though life is decent for you now, it's not how you imagined. And you're beginning to realize that this isn't just something you have to endure and then it will be what you imagined, but perhaps it's just never going to be how you imagined. I think all of us deal with that on some level. You should have seen the plans that I had in high school. I mean, instead of studying so that I could actually fulfill some of those plans, I just sat around and like worked out all of the grand things that I was going to do. I I drew pictures of entire commercial office parks where every space in the office park was a business that Brian Bird Enterprises owned. I was fairly convinced that by 30 or 35, I'd be able to retire an independently wealthy person. Now I'm facing the fact that the Lord blesses me to live to 80. I'm still not going to realize that dream. (laughs) Some opportunity was missed. Life is decent, but it's not how you imagined. You thought you would get to how it was that you imagined it, but you're having to face the fact maybe you won't. You live with chronic pain. You absolutely do believe that God is a healer, but you have not been healed. And it's been decades now. And so you're having to face the fact that, you know, what 25 years ago I thought was something I just had to get through, I'm realizing I might just have to live with this 
There may be no getting through it. This may just be the reality of my life. What you expected God to do, how you expected God to use all the circumstances of your life and turn them for good in this lifetime, it's not working out that way. What you expected and what you see don't look anything alike. And because you've believed that everything happens for a reason, that everything that happens is God's will, that somehow God directly causes everything, somehow it will result for good in this lifetime, you're struggling with anger toward God. Friends, the Psalms prove to us that God is willing and able to give us space to question Him. He's willing and able to give us space to cry out in frustration. But friends, it is never right for us to be angry at God because God does not do anything wrong. And I think that today... There are some of us here who are angry at God. I actually, I, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or just a hunch. I don't know, but I actually think there are a fairly large number of us here today that are angry at God. And friends, being angry at God will mess you up really bad. It does bad stuff to us causes us to stop praying, causes us to stop studying the scriptures, causes us to lash out at God, causes us to take God's name in vain at the least little inconvenience of life. It can lead us to the point where we turn our back and just walk away. Anger at God messes us up bad. So if God is sovereign... And yet we are able to look out and see so much pain and evil in the world. Why are we not able to lay the blame for that at God's feet? Well, one reason is, that, is because not everything that happens is God's will. We need to understand that there are reasons other than God's will that things happen. I want to just briefly mention a few of these and then we're going to get to the correct understanding of Romans 8.28. Some things that happen apart from God's will are the result of our foolish decisions and self-inflicted wounds. Now, I'd like to define those this way. Foolish decisions, just dumb stuff we do. Anybody ever done dumb stuff? Now, come on. Come on. Some of you are a little prideful right now. Yes, we've all done some dumb stuff. And I'll define uh, sinful choices as, uh, I'm sorry, self-inflicted wounds as sinful choices uh, that we make. (laughs) I put on uh, Facebook last night what we would be uh, talking about today. And and the title of the message, Does Everything Really Happen for a Reason? A friend of mine from Minnesota, who is uh, quite the card, uh, responded with a all capital yes with exclamation mark, and then he said, and some of the reasons are because you do something really stupid. And, uh, and, and that's what we're talking about here. Proverbs 19.3, I think they'll put this on the screen, is a really interesting verse. It says, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. The Lord didn't do anything. It's your own folly 
ruined your life. Lay all your trouble at the feet of God, not so fast. Sometimes the difficulty we find ourselves in is a direct result of our own folly. And Ben did a a good job of illustrating this a couple of weeks ago. You know, it is not God's fault if I decide that the nation is ready to once again embrace the pet rock and, and I invest everything I own in rolling out that product to the nation and then I end up bankrupt. That's not God's fault. I was foolish. God's not responsible when a Christian yields to temptation, goes to the bar, has a few too many, drinks to the point of sinfulness, hops in the car and gets picked up for DUI. It's not God's fault when we foolishly believe that the way to happiness in life is through an extramarital affair that wrecks our lives and the lives of those around us. It's not God's fault when our gossiping mouth gets us in relational hot water with everybody we know because we gossip about everybody we know. That's not God's fault. God does not want any of those things. God does not cause any of those things. Here's what James 1.13 tells us about this and then going on through verse 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Some things that happen apart from God's will are the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. In fact, this covers most everything that we would talk about when we wrestle with why things happen that are outside of God's will. I'm going to be honest with you. I think sometimes it's an answer that does not always satisfy us. But biblically, it's a fairly compelling answer, which I believe makes it objectively a pretty compelling answer. Why do bad things happen? Why do good people suffer? Why is there such heartache in the world? Why do evil people detonate bombs at world-famous marathons? Why does a young store clerk get gunned down in a robbery? Why do people get mugged? We live in a fallen world. The evil one is active in the world. He is going about stealing, killing, and destroying. The hearts of many people are hardened against God. They have thrown off his rule and reign. They act only in their own selfish interests, no matter how it hurts anyone else. Yes, the kingdom of God broke into this present evil age with the coming of Christ, but it is not until Christ returns that this present evil age will end. And so we live in the in-between time, two kingdoms in conflict with each other, the kingdom of God at work, gaining citizens, being a force for good. But the kingdom of darkness at work, still active, still fighting, still deceiving, still a force for destruction. And we can often accept that. But then sometimes something happens that throws us for a loop. We, we witness such unspeakable horror that no answer satisfies us. We see a, 
A medical doctor who is so evil that he violently and gruesomely ends the lives of children who somehow survived an attempted abortion. They're born alive. Completely alive. Able to live on their own outside of their mother. And he ends their life. Sometimes by actively doing so. Sometimes by just abandoning them. We see a story on the news of a sweet little child abused by his or her own parents. And some of you have probably suffered that same thing. Some things are just so awful that we think to ourselves, okay, I get it. I, I know we live in a fallen world, but God is omnipotent. How can he allow this to happen? We know, fallen world, humans with free will, but it leaves us unsatisfied. We ask why. And the only thing we can really say is we don't know why, we don't really understand. Why do such awful things happen? We have to be willing to accept that sometimes the only thing we can really say is we don't know. Yes, we understand the fallen world, but we still just struggle and we just can't figure it all out. So where does this leave us? I think one place it leaves us is needing to correctly understand Romans 8.28. Here's what it says again. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It does not say all things are good. Because they aren't. It does not say that everything that happens is God's will. It does not say that God directly causes everything that happens. It does not say that everything will turn out for our good in this lifetime. It says none of those things. It simply says that in all things, both good things and bad things, God works for the good of those who love him. It simply means that God is at work in, he, he is at work in all things. Osborne writes this, in other words, the enemy's best shot can't thwart God's ultimate plan. God can and will accomplish his good purposes no matter what. But he notes, that's a far cry from saying that everything that happens is somehow good or necessary. Well, what I believe Romans 8.28 means is that in spite of the all things that happen in our lives, including the really bad things, God promises that no matter what life and the evil one throw at us, God's good and eternal purposes for our lives can never be thwarted. And I think it's important for us to, to understand it this way. It's his good and eternal purposes for our lives that can never be uh, thwarted. This is an important distinction. I think we have to understand keeping good and eternal together. And so here's what I believe we have to do to break free from the damage, this wrong notion that everything happens for a reason unleashes in our lives. Here it is. It's fairly simple, but it's sometimes hard for us to do. We have to be willing to set our hearts on heaven. 
We, we have to be willing to set our hearts on eternity. We err when we believe that God's ultimate good for us is going to come about in this lifetime. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I recognize many blessings of God in my life. I see many blessings of God in, in your lives. This is not to say we don't enjoy life and that God doesn't give us good things in this life. He does. He does. But we need to set our expectations on the life to come, not this life. We err when we wrongly believe that life in this fallen world is ever going to be like life in the age to come. Problem-free, pain-free, trouble-free. My experience of life is that blessing and incredible difficulty run side by side throughout most of it. We have to reset our expectations. Life in this age will never be like life in the age to come. But we can break free from anger at God and the damage it does to our lives by letting go of this misguided expectation that in the 75 to 80 years that most of us have uh, in the, on this earth, that that is the be-all and end-all of our existence. We have to let go of this idea that these 75 or 80 years are our one chance at the good life. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. We have to set our hearts on eternity, set our hearts on heaven. Look to that future reality as the place where everything will be right and good. We need to allow the difficulties of this present age to produce in us a desire for that age to come. Romans 8, 29 through 30 say this, and they raise their own questions, which I'm not going to go into uh, today, but just want to draw your attention to one part. They say, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Here's what I want to draw your attention to. I believe that we break free from glossing over sin. We break free from irresponsibility. We break free from misplaced hope. We break free from anger at God. When we set our hearts on, when we set our expectations on, when we set our hopes on, our future experience of glory. Our future experience of glory. Change your expectations. This life was never meant to provide everything that is good and right. Let me correct that. It was meant to. It got messed up. It is only when Christ returns that everything will be good and right. We can deal with the difficulties of this life We can deal with things not turning out the way that we hoped when we truly believe this life is not all there is. When we truly believe that there is a payday for those who have trusted in Jesus. It's called heaven. And it makes the suffering of this life look so pitiful. Well... 
has been a challenging topic. At least it was challenging for me to uh, prepare. I pray that there has been something in this message that might have been found helpful by you or that in the coming days you might reflect on something and find it helpful. But whether that is true or not, here is one thing that I am completely certain that God wanted to do today through this topic, through this message. And that is that he wanted to highlight this issue of anger at him. He wanted to highlight this issue of people being angry at God. I am absolutely convinced that a pretty large number of us here today are struggling with some level of anger with God. We try to deny it, but deep down it is true. It is true. Some of the things that I mentioned earlier may be um, warning signs that you're struggling with anger at God. I think if you're neglecting prayer, neglecting Bible reading, neglecting Christian community, many of those things could be signs that you're angry with God. could also be signs that you're lazy. Um, (laughs) um, I occasionally interact with people um, who... I think you'll understand what I'm trying to explain even if I don't do it well, and you might even recognize that this is you. You ever been around someone where you just feel like they're just on the verge of popping? You know, just on the verge of exploding, like um, one wrong look and it's all going to be over? You know, if that's you, if you recognize that, hey, it doesn't matter what it is in life, I'm just on the edge of exploding constantly, you might, might be struggling with anger at God. And here's one that I think is really um, a big, big clue. If, if you regularly take the Lord's name in vain at the frustrations of your life, I think you may be uh, angry at God. You know, some people just grew up that way. But especially if you're a person who you didn't used to do that, and now you find yourself just like you smash your thumb, you take God's name in vain, your, your tire goes flat, you take God's name in vain. I, I mean, if you're taking God's name in vain, I, I think you really need to examine yourself and say, am I, am I angry at God? It makes no rational sense why we, uh, why, why we use God's name in that way uh, when life gives us something difficult. I mean, why, why don't we say something else? You know, why, why do we say that? I think it reveals anger in our hearts toward God. So here's what, I, here's what I think. I think that God, at a minimum, wanted to highlight this issue of anger in today's message. And he wants some people here who are angry at him to admit it and to deal with it. And then here's the other thing that I really believe very strongly. If you're here and you're angry with God and you're honest enough to admit it, you're honest enough to to confront it and get help today, I believe that God has highlighted this issue because today is the day that he wants to set you free from being angry at him. I really believe that you can leave here today free. You can leave here today with your relationship with God restored. You can leave here today with the weight of anger lifted off of you. Anger is a heavy load to carry. 
You can leave here today with the chains of anger broken off of you. God really does want to set you free to experience his love again. To turn to him when life is hard rather than railing against him. Why don't you stand